Lord, we are thankful as your people, and we give back to you our tithes and our offerings. We do this, Lord, as cheerful givers, not under compulsion, but because as you've asked us to in your mercy and grace shown to us in Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity to show our thanksgiving to you in this thing. So would you make our hearts glad? And where we we do feel the tinge of selfishness, where we do feel the tinge of, of compulsion, Lord, would you remove that? And would you give us joy? and giving as unto you, and acknowledging that all good things come from you, that you are the giver of everything that we have, that we are simply the stewards entrusted to this. Make us good stewards of all that you've given us, that we would live and use that which you've given us for your glory and for your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6 this morning. Jeremiah 6, verse 1. I forget every week to look up the page number on the Pew Bible to help, but kind of in the middle and then keep going. 632? Three? Close enough. All right. Jeremiah chapter 6. This is God's word. Jeremiah 6 verse 1. Flee for safety, O people of Benjamin, from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and raise a signal on Beth Hakarem, for disaster looms out of the north and great destruction. The lovely and delicately bred I will destroy, the daughter of Zion. Shepherds with their flocks shall come against her. They shall pitch their tents around her. They shall pasture each in his own place. Prepare war against her. Arise and let us attack at noon. Woe to us, for the day declines, for the shadows of evening lengthen. Arise, and let us attack by night, and destroy her palaces. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. As a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. Violence and destruction are heard within her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a grape gatherer, pass your hand over its branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, 
Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. What use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba, or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend shall perish. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. Our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Go not out into the field, nor walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation, for suddenly... The destroyer will come upon us. I have made you a tester of metals among my people that you may know and test their ways. They are all stubbornly rebellious, going about with slanders. They are bronze and iron. All of them act corruptly. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. In vain the refining goes on, for the wicked are not removed. Rejected silver they are called, for the Lord has rejected them. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we ask that You would now take it and feed it to us. Satisfy our souls. Cause us to hear the call to to return to the right path, the good way, and to find rest for our souls. We long for rest for our souls. Lord, would You give it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, you may have picked up on a theme through our order of worship this morning that there would be something said about paths or roads or something of that nature given the prayers and the songs that we've sung this morning. And indeed, now that we read it, we find this passage that may be familiar to some of you that you've seen before in Jeremiah where there's this call to return to the ancient path to find the good way. Not all of you, but I would say most in this room remember a time before GPS and cell phones told us exactly where we are and exactly how to get where we need to go. And if you remember back to a time before we had these devices, you you know that, you know, getting lost was a little more commonplace. You had to understand directions. Remember that? People, you had to know how to give directions. You had to know how to understand directions. You know the difference between someone who gives bad directions and good directions and the consequences of such. Not only do we need to know the way in which to go, but there's some value of knowing about the way in which to go, knowing something about the road that you're on or the path that you're on. I remember before we had GPS and phones, it was still a step forward when on the Internet we had MapQuest, 
And you could put in one address and a second address, and then it would print step-by-step instructions. And so when you're driving, I remember printing off, you know, a stack of paper from going from one state to another. But there was a problem because MapQuest didn't necessarily know the roads. And so at one point, as I was driving through the corner of northeast Georgia, I found myself on a Forest Service road in my uh, sedan rental car, not a truck. But I didn't know where I was. I didn't know the way in which to go. I didn't know how to, to, to do anything. I could have turned around, but then, you know, you're in half a mile, and you think, yeah, this can't be much more. And then you're in a mile, and then you're in two miles, and then by the time you're in five miles, you're committed, you know, so you just keep going and going and going. And after 10 miles, it takes you an hour to go on a Forest Service road. You finally get to the other side. There's value in knowing about the area, knowing about the road. And Jeremiah has something to say about that. I remember taking a, a kind of a spur of the moment late afternoon hike with some friends once, and we, we, uh, we drove to the trailhead. We parked in the parking lot, and we took off trying to enjoy the cool of the day before the sun went down. But we got disoriented. And again, before cell phones and, and devices and so forth, we, we ended up, we were lost. We didn't know how to get back to our car. And it was at this time that one person in the group who noticed that what the rest of us didn't, when we parked, there was a sign that said, this parking lot will be closed and locked at sunset. And the sun was going down, and we started to freak out. Because we were, this, this is when I lived in Hawaii, we were like up in the mountains. There was no like just walking down to civilization and making a phone call. No cell phones, no nothing. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And so we, we started to freak out a little bit and get worried. We didn't know what to do. And then we came across some other hikers. And we told them our predicament. And they said, oh, we know how to get you back. And although we had to run the entire way back, we made it there just in time to get to the car before the park ranger locked the gate. There's something about knowing the area. There's something about knowing the road that we're on. And in Jeremiah, we hear the prophet warn the people to return to the correct road, the correct trail. Now, we've seen that they're on a path. Just even six chapters into Jeremiah, we see that they're on this path that lead, is leading them to judgment. They're being called again and again to return, to repent, that they might not end in that. And this, again, emphasizes that message. Verse 1, the warning is flee for safety. Or as Eugene Peterson captures it, run for your life. Now, we might have said that when we were kids, but we probably never meant it. I think most of us have never truly had to run for our lives. At most, we had to run to get back to our car before it was locked in the parking lot. But most of us have not had to run for our lives. It's in the movies, it's in books, we imagine it when true doom is actually coming. But this is the message that Jeremiah is telling the people, run for your lives. This is what is coming. Now he singles out Benjamin, there's some discussion among commentators as to why. Jeremiah was from the tribe of Benjamin, Jerusalem at one point was in the territory of Benjamin, we can't be sure. But then he says, sound the trumpet in Tekoa and raise the flag or the signal in Beth Hakarem. And this is likely, at least for the trumpet, it's likely a play on words. A lot of times we see this uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, and it doesn't always come through in English, but the word for trumpet and tekoa uh, sound very similarly. And so Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase, the translation, the message says, Give a blast on the ram's horn in Blastville. Send up smoke signals from Smoketown. 
It's that play on words that tells us something about the sound or something about the town that is, is being mentioned here. What do the young people call Vera Beach? Zero Beach. Do you know? Okay, there's a reason why. My brother, when he drives home from work, he often calls me. We talk on his way home. He drives through a town called Riverdale. He refers to it as Reeferdale. I will let the reader understand. Sometimes these play on words tell us something about the town. And this is what Jeremiah is doing here about these towns, that they would be the point of signal or the point of warning. The attack is coming against Judah. It is coming without doubt because the people will not turn. They will not repent. And in verse 2, she's described as lovely and delicate bread daughter of Zion. This is designed to communicate both the care that God has shown his people from delivering them out of slavery into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but it also communicates the vulnerability of the people, that they are delicate and they are going to lose all of their prized possessions because of their sin. These attackers are going to come in. And as they arrive, they're described as shepherds in verse 3. This means they're going to come in and take over. They're going to bring, in a sense, they're going to establish their farms in the land of Judah. They're going to take and rob all that belongs to them. But it's a fierce army. It isn't just a tame shepherds. That shows what they will do. The, the, the army is actually described as mighty warriors. They won't even follow the norms and the customs of warfare. In this time, in this place, during battle, they would often uh, fight in the morning and fight in the late afternoon and evening because it was so hot there. They would, they would all, both sides would agree and take a break in the middle of the day. But then once, once dark came, there was no fighting. They didn't have, there was no electricity, there was no means to fight. And yet here, this army somehow has the means. They're not afraid of the heat of the day. They'll start at noon. They're not afraid of the dark. They will come and attack at night. Verse 5, let us attack by night and destroy her palaces. The army's going to come in and they're going to cut down the trees in the land. They're going to make weapons out of them. The very things that, that Judah considers her resources are going to be turned into battering rams, made into siege ramps by which the attacking army will come over the walls of the fortified cities at the people. And again, the reasoning is given. Judah oppresses people. She is filled with selfishness. She is filled with pride. She has no compassion. Verse 6, her evil is likened to a well of wickedness, a well that is bubbling up continually. She destroys the downtrodden. She is violent against the weak. She is rotten with sickness like a wound that oozes. So is all kind of sin on display among the people. In verse 8, we see the Lord's voice again to give a warning and a call to repentance. Turn now. Stop bearing down on the weak. Stop taking advantage. Stop dismissing the impoverished as stupid. Help meet their needs. Stop ignoring the lonely and the brokenhearted. Give your energy and time to them. Open your homes. Open your lives. Give and share what you have. Open your eyes and your hearts, says Yahweh, or I will turn from you in disgust. Disgust. It's the same message that Jeremiah delivers to Judah that Jesus captures in the parable of the man who was forgiven the great debt. Do you remember that story? He goes and he pleads with the ruler to be forgiven this debt. There's no way he can repay. It's way more than he could ever achieve in his life. He begs and he pleads and the ruler finally relents and he forgives him this debt. And what does the man do? He goes out and grabs someone who owes him 
a pocket full of chains and he chokes him and demands repayment in that moment. The ruler then calls him back and says to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The Lord is saying to Judah, in essence, look at all the kindness I've shown you. You do the very opposite to your own neighbors and countrymen. It is pure evil. In verses 9 to 15, we see again the hard-heartedness of the people who are unwilling to, uh, to, 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 to hear and to listen. The army's coming. They're going to gather the grapes of wrath. They're going to do more than... They're going to do what the gleaners do. You remember in, in, in Israel, the, when they would harvest it, they would always leave grapes uh, for those who were in need to come and to glean. This army is going to come in and strip the branches bare. None will be left. No one was going to be missed. This is because they refused to hear the many warnings God had sent them through the prophets. Again and again, God sent his messengers and the people refused. It is because, as Jeremiah describes here, their ears are uncircumcised. Now that sounds strange, unless you understand that the Old Testament sign of the covenant of circumcision was a cutting of a covenant. And so here the picture is that their ears are, in a sense, sewn closed. They can't hear. They're closed up. They refuse to listen. If you think of the New Testament sign of the covenant, baptism, You might think of someone who is filthy and dirty and caked with mud or their ears are full of mud. They refuse to be washed. They refuse to be cleaned. Not only won't they listen, but the word of the Lord, both the words of warning and the words of the hope of the gospel are scorned to them, verse 10 says. And because of their refusal, there isn't one group who will be spared. We get this about warfare. It's one of the reasons why it's so horrible. We see this going on right now where we see images of warfare coming in. And it's especially heartbreaking when we see the vulnerable, when we see children or the elderly or the sick running for their lives. It breaks our hearts. And this is the warning the Lord gives to them that none will be spared, verse 11. This warring army will sweep through. They will take everything from Judah. No one will be left. Again, a reason is provided in verse 13, pointing to the leaders. The leaders have failed the people again and again. They've not only failed to lead, they failed to correct. They've willingly participated uh, in, in the sins and the evil practices of the people. Here we read that the leaders are greedy for unjust gain. They deal falsely. They are liars and extortioners and swindlers. They have hunted as predators, as we've seen previously. They are seeking whom they can devour. Who seeks out those who he he can devour? The evil one. This is the pattern they're following. Instead of hearing the warning and the call to the people to repent, they have proclaimed peace, peace, when there is no peace. It was a damning message. Why? Well, because real danger was coming. I mean, we get this. When the Cat 5 hurricane is sitting off the coast, there's warnings. There's announcements. We're to seek shelter. We're to to evacuate if necessary. But can you imagine seeing a storm like that and forecasters saying, sunshine and daisies, nothing to worry about, folks. Just stay where you are. I mean, a damning message, right? That you would be left in harm's way. This is, in essence, what the leaders were doing for the people of Judah 
Not only have they ignored God, not only have they perpetrated this lie that would bring harm to everyone, not only have they participated in all sorts of evil, they aren't even ashamed of their treachery. Verse 15, they don't know how to blush. They ought to be ashamed, but they are bold-faced in their wrongdoing, and because of that, they will not be spared either. We see Jeremiah building the case building the case that it is all the people throughout the land, that there are none righteous, no, not one. From the least to the greatest, the people of Judah are guilty. And then the picture comes that we've referenced in verses 16 to 21, a call to turn and repent, a picture given like a journey or a hike, a road where we see in a crossroad a decision has to be made, in which way will we turn, in which way will we go. They are pointed to the ancient paths. It says in verse 16, where the good way is. Now some misunderstand this, and hopefully you've never heard a sermon that says that we're to resist change because of this verse in Jeremiah chapter 6. That all new things are bad and all old things are good. This is not the message that the Lord is giving His people. The good and the ancient paths that He refers to here is the law that he had given his people. He's calling them to go back to what he has already revealed about himself. Now, we remember under Josiah, the, who, who Jeremiah served during the, Josiah's reign, Josiah, his people rediscovered the scroll in the temple. They went through, they found it. Likely the law, the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, if not the whole Pentateuch. And so they knew with assurance what God had given to them, what he had shown them in his law. And so the ancient text is, as Jeremiah says, this is the road map. This is the way in which you're to go. This is the way in which you walk. We understand that God's law reveals to us who He is. It shows us how to live. It shows us our sin, our need for forgiveness, right? The law shows us exactly what we confessed this morning in our confession, what we need to know about God and what our duty is to Him. So let me say we don't have to be afraid of new things or new ideas, There are some old things that are good and worth holding on to, but Psalm 96 says, sing unto the Lord a new song, right? So we can sing new songs, and we can find new ways of of expressing the ancient truths. But what's important here is the content. The content stays the same. Truth never changes. Andrew Peterson, who I know I quote a lot, but he wrote a song for his sons that captures this. He writes these lyrics, and I know you'll be scared when you take up that cross, and I know it'll hurt because I know what it costs. And I love you so much, and it's so hard to watch, but you're going to grow up and you're going to get lost. Just go back. Go back. Go back to the ancient paths. Lash your heart to the ancient mast. And hold on, boy, whatever you do, to the hope that's taken hold of you. And you'll find your way. You'll find your way. If love is what you're looking for, the old roads lead to an open door, and you'll find your way. You'll find your way back home. A poetic way of phrasing what exactly Jeremiah is calling the people to do. Go back to the old roads. Discover what God has revealed to you in His law. So sad for us to see this, because the message is so clear. Why do the people refuse this? Why will they not hear the message that is so gracious? It's a word of warning. Get out of the way. The hurricane's coming. Find shelter. Evacuate. Why stand and continue to walk in the same path that's going to lead to destruction? But in their forgetting of this correct path, and listening to their own voices, and hearing the voices of the leaders 
saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They rejected God's goodness. And so in verse 19, we read, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. Now, they still acted religiously. And this is where the word of warning comes to us. They were still going to church. They were still doing duty. Here it's described as offering frankincense and spices, sweet cane. And God says to them, this is not going to appease me. Like he said through the prophet Samuel, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. When we don't listen, when we ignore God's law as revealed in His Word, when we dismiss what He has already told us, then we can't expect to take our good deeds and throw them in His face and demand our wishes. And yet, it's what we often do. In our hearts, at least, we know better than to say this out loud, but, but we, we do this. God, I've, I've gone to church, I've given my tithe, I've volunteered, I've served... I've read my Bible, I've said my prayers. Why aren't you doing what I asked? In essence, we're playing God. God, you owe me because I've done this. I've done my part. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. We are to obey and to bring sacrifices of praise of his goodness toward us in Jesus, not because he owes us, or not to have him owe us anything. Job 41.11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, says God. He is God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He does all that he pleases. And so we are to hear his voice given to us in his word as the gracious instruction that it is given for our good. The law is not a burden. The law is not a burden because it is good and it is pure. It was a burden if we had to keep it, but Jesus kept it in our place. And so we can hear the law of God under the gospel and know that it's for our good. It protects us. In the final section of chapter 6, we see again the announcement of the invading army. A great nation is stirring, and again we see described how fierce they are. Skilled warriors who are effective and what they've been given to do. It's going to sound like an ocean roaring when they come, the horses stamping. There's going to literally be terror on every side. God's warning them again. This is how bad it's going to be. Turn and repent. But he says they will weep in bitterness because of this judgment. The people have not turned. They they will be rejected. They have not received this mercy, this gift of God and His law. And finally, we see Jeremiah act like a metal tester. This is one who attempts to refine the ore through fire to get the good stuff out, to get the the pure silver out through this process. You remember in the last chapter, Jeremiah's words were described as fire. And here this picture of refinement is brought. And Jeremiah is given the task, but we see what the result is. The refinement fails. Everything gets burned up. In vain the refining goes on, for the wicked are not removed. Verse 29. And then the chapter ends with these sobering words. The Lord has rejected them. Six chapters in, this is where we are. 
the certainty that the people have given, been given every chance to repent. They are not without excuse. They cannot plead ignorance. He calls them again and again to unplug their ears, to uncover their eyes, to hear and to see. But they spurn his messengers and they kill the prophets because they do not want to find mercy. It is a sad story and it ought to break our hearts, but it also ought to help us see that we are them. We're Judah. This is what we do. We know we're not supposed to covet, yet how many hours over the past week have we spent scrolling through all the listings of the many things that we want? We've been told not to fear. How many hours have we filled our minds and our hearts with a continuous news feed that does nothing more than pour gasoline on our fears? We know God says to love our neighbor as ourselves, but how often do we fritter away our time and our energy and our money on things that go in the garbage can? instead of looking out for the needs of others. You see, we're all guilty. None of us is righteous. No one has a merit badge that they've earned that they can take and hold out to God and say, see, I've done my part, you owe me. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, away from the ancient path, away from the good way. We followed the ways of the world. At times, we've made our own path. We've taken the machete. We've cut our own way. Like I said before, at times we turn around and we, want, we go backwards, we go wrong way on a one-way street at times. You see, we, we don't need to look at Judah and think, Whew, I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. Instead, we need to see ourselves in this. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The call to the ancient path and the good way is the call to the law of God. And when we see the perfect law of God, we cry out with a tax collector, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The perfect law of God shows us we fail to meet it. We don't measure up. We've broken it. We have sinned. But then we look up and we see Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled that law in our place. He died not only to pay for our sins, the wrongs we have done, but He died in a way that pays for giving us the righteousness. He credits us with His righteousness. He fulfilled the law. And He makes us righteous when we trust in Him. And so the call today is to believe in Him and to find mercy and forgiveness and righteousness in Him alone. If you have never believed, then now is the moment. This is the crossroads. This is where you choose which way you will walk. But for you who are believers, the choice is still there. I mean, yes, our sins are forgiven. No one will ever pluck us out of His hand. But daily, 
We face choices in the way in which we're going to live our lives. The road in which we're going to walk. Will we stick to the old road? The narrow way of our Savior? Or will we jump on the highway of the world, the seemingly easy way of little resistance? We still fight these battles, yet one of the ways leads to destruction. The hope of the gospel is ours in Jesus if we're trusting in Him. And this hope is that He is the one who not only tells us the way in which to go, but He's the one who walks with us. He leads us on the path in which we're to walk. He doesn't abandon us or tell us directions and run away. He is a lamp unto our feet. He is a light unto our path. He is the good shepherd who will lead us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And let me tell you this. When you can't take another step, He will carry you. He says to us, listen to me. All who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am He. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your promise to us is not to leave us, but to be with us. To never leave us, in fact. That you guide us in the paths of righteousness for your, for your namesake, for your own glory, and it's for our good. We thank you for that, but we thank you that you promise even to carry us. That when we can't take another step, when we're exhausted and worn down, when we feel the burdens of this world and the burdens of our own sin, you will carry us to our old age. You will carry us. Lord, we acknowledge we have nothing to hold out. We have nothing to to offer. We've done no good. We fall on the mercy of you. And in the name of Jesus, we claim His righteousness as our own, freely offered to us in the gospel. Lord, would you help us to believe this? Because our tendency is to go back again and again to make our own way. We want to make our own path. Or we want to jump on the path that the world is taking because it's easier or it looks more accepted. But Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to walk in the way that you have made, that ancient path, the good way, knowing where it ends, and knowing that you're with us and that you will carry us to the end. So we confess our trust in you. Would you help our hearts to believe, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.